reading and studying a little bit last night and trying to throw it together last night and everything. Um, I had, it was a little too deep with what I sent you. I thought, oh, we'll go in that direction a little later, so we'll go with what I did do. In Psalm 23, 5, um, a perspective that you're going to get. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Then you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, David wrote that psalm, but what I will say from what I was going through is with that, he said he would dwell in the house of the Lord, but now the house of the Lord dwells in us forever. Amen? But, um, but when you walk through a valley... And a lot of times people want that as a funeral, but, it, you know, that's okay because it does give them comfort. But when you do go through a valley, he wants you to, his rod and his staff are there to comfort you. It's not to beat you down or anything or in the middle of that. Um, and in the present, it's, it's hard to see your enemies when you're sitting by green pastures, when your soul's getting restored, and um, when you're by still waters, it's hard to see. But when you see your enemies is when you walk through that valley. Sometimes we go through that. We do it ourselves. He doesn't lead us there, but he doesn't leave us there. He is with us. Holy Spirit is with us. His rod and his staff comfort us. And there he prepares that table. And in that, at that table, what he's saying to me is... Um, you're going to feast on the goodness of God even in the presence of your enemies. So you don't have to wait till you come out of your stuff before you see the favor and the goodness of God. You can still feast on the goodness of God in the presence of your enemies. That's what it's there for. You are destined to see the goodness of God no matter what you're going through, no matter what circumstance, because he prepares that table for you. And if you marry that concept with what Jesus says about your enemies... Don't resist an evil person, love your enemies, pray for those who despitefully use you and curse you. Then you start to realize that the presence, that table is not just for you, but it's also for those enemies that you think that you may have. And feeding, you know, Jesus made it a priority that he always went around feeding people, those they thought were his enemies. He fed the poor, he fed the tax collectors, even the good Samaritan, people he weren't supposed to be around. He did that. And so the concept is of that too, what, what, what do you think will happen whenever you marry those two together? Odds are sometimes you may invite that enemy to your table because there is no better way to break down a wall than when you're eating. And I know that you've been saying that all you know month. But um, so just know that what he's done for you in that goodness that, that you're experiencing and in the favor that you're seeing, it's not only for you, but it's for somebody else. And you're blessed to be a blessing. He feeds you so you can feed others. It's not that your enemies can become jealous. A lot of times we've heard that, oh, God's blessing me in front of my enemies. No, it's because your enemies need something. And, they, and they're at the table. Instead of enemies, they become friends. You become reconciled because everything about the cross and his body is to be reconciled. And so that's just what I had. And there was a little other part, but we won't go in that because it's kind of long. So <laughs> not that this wasn't long, but anyway, the table. <laughs> Thank you, babe. Yeah. Isn't that good? So stay in Psalm 23 as you get your Bibles out, whether you're on a smart device or a written copy of it. Uh, some people still like to hear the rustling of the leaves, but I'm starting in Psalm 23 as Elisa did. 
Sorry the announcements were so long this morning. Matthew said there was 20 of them, so it took him a little longer uh, to get them out. Some new things happening that we wanted to let you know about and remind you of, but we appreciate that. We've been in Luke's gospel, and we will get there this morning as well. But as you travel through the book of Luke, Luke literally takes you on a journey. Uh, it, he starts with the birth of Christ, and he ends with the ascension of Christ and the Mount Olivet Discourse where Jesus gives a, uh, a command. But in that uh, journey, there are nine different references to meals uh, where Jesus sits down at the table. And he didn't just sit down to share food. He did sit down to share food. But in that meal, there are lessons that we can learn. And we've seen some of those lessons Holy Spirit just gave me G's for all of these. It makes it a little bit easier to remember generosity, grace, the good part today, gratitude, and next week, the guarantee. So st stick with us. Uh, go back and review them. If you're watching and you haven't, listen to those. They're on our YouTube channel. As Lisa was speaking, I got a message from my friend Jonathan in Oklahoma. Then his brother-in-law, John, just posted un in our feed watching this morning that Jonathan's dad has been taken to the hospital. Virgil needs our prayers. They're looking for meningitis. There's some type of infection, uh, but he needs our prayers this morning. He's in his early 80s, and uh, so let's just pray right now for Virgil. Any other requests that you have and any that have been mentioned here, we'll try to remember those. Will you pray with me, please? So, Father, we come in Jesus' name, and we know that at the cross, you took all of our sin, our shame, and our sickness. And by the stripes beaten in your back, Virgil is whole, well, and healed. Today, may every sign and symptom of sickness and disease cease. May the doctors find quickly what is going on with him. But, with him, but before they even find out, you know his need. You've already provided the way of escape and the means of recovery. And we thank you for that today. Anyone else suffering? in their bodies, in their minds, and their emotions, here in the building or watching online or otherwise, we just declare and decree this morning that they are whole, well, and healed in their mind, their body, and their spirit. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I'm preaching behind the table this morning because we are specifically looking at the Lord's table. And what can we learn from Jesus at that table? And as we just kind of journey through this this morning and we discover some things, uh, I trust my intent would be to help us not just sing songs like gratitude, but that we would have gratitude that just oozes out of our character and our personality everywhere we are, because I believe a lifestyle of gratitude. I grew up hearing this, maybe you could shake your head or say man or wave at me, you should have an attitude of gratitude. Have you ever heard that saying, that quote? Uh, it's not wrong, but it's so much more than an attitude, and I hope to get that across to you today. So in our Bibles, let's look at Psalm 23, uh, verses 5 and 6. Lisa read it, but I will read it again. Uh, and from the contemporary English version of the Bible, it says, You set a table before me right in front of my enemies. You bathe my head with oil, my cup is so full it spills over. Yes, goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the Lord's house 
as long as I live. Now David quoting from an old covenant mentality, but I love what Lisa said. Now not only do we dwell in the house of the Lord, but the house of the Lord, we are the house of the Lord and he dwells in us. David even got a little bit jealous in Psalm 37 as he looked forward prophetically and he said, blessed is the man whose sin is not imputed against him. In other words, blessed is the man who has the spirit that never leaves him nor forsakes him and has an indwelling spirit and ever presence of God within him. Now David wasn't just talking about any table. He wasn't talking about, oh, when you're facing this, God will show up and prepare this table for you. He's referring to a specific table. Now, I don't know what tradition or denomination you grew up in, but you can see the table. A lot of churches, denominations, have a table in the front, and it has the inscription that this one does, do this in remembrance of me. But the specific table that David is referring to is found in Exodus, the 12th and 13th chapter. Stay with me, because it's a foreshadowing. This is the uh, table of the Passover that was prepared in front of Israel's enemy, Egypt. They had been enslaved to sin in bondage, working their fingers to the bone. They were just held captive. There were all types of sicknesses and diseases because of the close-knit community and the type of work they were performing. They didn't have all of the clean and uh, water and necessities like the Egyptians did because they were slaves. And they had a slave mentality. But right in the middle of all of that bondage and sickness, what does the Lord do to, for them? He institutes through Moses a meal that will do certain things for them. Now, it's not just about the wafer and the wine. That's a funny cliche. You should have laughed at that from that point. It's not just about the wafer. <laughs> Thank you, Kathy. <laughs> and the wine. It's a whole much, whole much more than that. So jump now over to Luke 22. The old covenant meal was prepared and instituted by Moses through the instructions of the Lord, but there is a, a new covenant meal. That's a good, good, good nugget. It's a new covenant meal. Now verse 14 says, When the time came, Jesus took his place at the table and the apostles joined him. What table did he take his place at? The Passover table. He, it says in one verse that he desired earnestly to eat this meal with his disciples. We call it the Last Supper because this is the last time that Jesus, as a human, sits down at the table and shares the Passover meal and what it was instituted to do for those old covenant believers to bring them out of bondage, but he's going to give it a brand new meaning and he will even go on to say, I won't eat of this meal again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God and he has already done that. That is not something that we have to look into the future for. That's incredibly good news right there because he's not delaying the benefits of what the covenant meal represents. Let's, we must learn to approach God's table with a fresh 
appreciation. Now, how many of you grew up in a denomination or a church that took communion every Sunday? Every Sunday, there's several. Okay. Every time they gathered, they took communion. How many of you only took it at Christmas and Easter? That's me. Um, I don't think that's often enough, and maybe even every Sunday's not often enough. But it's not about how often, it's as often as you do it and how you do it. And it needs to have, we need to have a fresh appreciation for what it, this covenant meal represents because it contains miracles, healing, protection, and his manifest presence. Would you underline that and make a note of that last statement? This meal represents his manifest presence. I'm going to bust some denominational myths and doctrines this morning, okay? It's going to be incredible. It's going to be encouraging. It's going to be fun. John, the sixth chapter, verse 51 and 50 through 58, Jesus is talking about his body, his blood, this meal, and he makes this statement that really makes people cringe. And he says, Unless you eat my body and you drink my blood, you have no life in yourself. And he, and he also makes reference that you have no part of me. If you don't eat this meal, he's telling his disciples, then you have no part of me. Why? Because this, with fresh appreciation, we must understand what we do and how we should approach eating the body and the blood of Jesus. Verse 66 in John 6 says, that was such a hard statement that many followers left him to follow him no more. Wow. So what's involved in this meal? It's the same Passover meal instituted by Moses in chapter 12 of Exodus, and it was a meal of deliverance. Remember, um, they took the blood and they put it on the doorpost, at the blood of the lamb, as God had instructed them, and they put it over the lintel. That's the top part of the door. Stay with me. So if this meal in Exodus... And then they went inside the door, they're behind the blood, they're covered by the blood, and they ate the lamb, all of it. We need to consume the lamb, nothing but mutton. <laughs> That's what Dr. Howe says. But they were inside, covered by the blood, and it had power in the old covenant to deliver them. So how much more power, can I get any help, does the blood of Christ have than that of goats and bulls so that the new covenant meal represents, symbolizes, and by faith we have more power through it because of what Christ did than the blood that was applied to the door. Now, catch this. Fresh revelation to me, maybe you've seen this. They put the blood on the doorpost and the lentils, but they did not put the blood on the threshold. Incredible. Because Hebrews 10.29 says that if we trample over the blood... We've made it a common thing. So God was already foreshadowing and showing us that the blood is not to be trampled over and so that it was not put on the threshold. Isn't that something? Reference Hebrews 10.29 if you want to go home and look at that because we don't trample over the blood of Christ making it a common thing. It's not the same as the blood of goats and bulls where the priest stood at the altar every day making atonement for sin. 
Jesus did it once and for all, and the power of what he did 2,000 years ago is still effective today so that the blood of Christ is still delivering, say amen, it's still healing, it's still providing miracles, it's still providing protection, and it is still providing prosperity. Hmm. The promises of that old covenant meal were just that, long life. What do we have through the blood of Jesus? Eternal life. Zoe, it's the life that we have in abundance now and quantity in the future, forever. Healing, prosperity, fruitfulness, protection. Jesus instituted the new covenant meal at Passover and all of the blessings and the benefits of what His blood do is activated in the moment of faith when we partake of His body and His blood. And it's to be done with gratitude. Are you tracking with me? The Lord is manifested at the table. How many of you have ever heard of the Catholic tradition and teaching of transubstantiation? I don't think Catholics, okay. Some Protestants, as well as many Catholics, believe that the bread and the wine become the actual blood and body of Christ. Stay with me. History, church history, shows us that from the time of the apostles in the book of Acts, after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, that as they instituted, it says that they went from house to house breaking bread. That's not just having meals together, which it is having meals together, but it's just not that. They were preparing the Lord's Supper for one another. They were partaking of it. They were remembering what Christ did. And from that time until late into the ninth century, this doctrine of transubstantiation was unchallenged. That means for 900 plus years after Christ has ascended that the, the church universal, the church worldwide, including the apostles of Jesus, believed that the manifest presence of God came and sat and dwelt among them when they took of the bread and of the blood. Now I can tell and I can feel the resistance of that. I'm just telling you church history. That's all I was telling you is what they believed at that time. But have we made it so insignificant that it's just an act that we go through and we don't, believe, we don't come with a fresh appreciation for what Christ did so that maybe we should? Because his words himself was, unless you drink my blood and eat my body, you don't have any part of me. There's no life in you. Can I tell you who was at the table that night? His name was Judas. And he partook of the Lord's body and the Lord's blood. I'll just leave that right there. <laughs> we teach and we believe that this is a meal that heals. Psalm 23 verse 5 says, You anoint my head with oil. Where, did, where was his head being anointed at? at that table that God had prepared for him right in, the, in front of his enemies 
What does oil for a shepherd represent? Oil always represents healing. The shepherd would use oil for a healing product for the sheep who were hurt and wounded. So at this covenant meal, there's healing in this meal, and he anoints our head afresh and anew when we come to the table and we partake. Now, I'm saying and I'm using the verbiage that come to the table, but you can go to the table morning, noon, or night, right there in your home, at work, in your car. You can have this meal anytime you want. You don't have to wait for a deacon or a minister to serve it to you. You can have it on your own. How many of you ever done that and felt the results of it and know that it works? I, I have, and I'm encouraging you to do that. But this oil here is used that after eating the Passover meal in the Old Covenant Scripture, there was no one feeble or sick among them. Go read it. It says that after they took that meal, that because of what the, the power behind it was, that there wasn't a feeble or a sick one among them. Can we get back to that today in the new covenant? Because the blood of Jesus is more powerful than the blood that was shed on that Passover night when they came out of Egypt. The gratitude, again, just isn't for the wine and the wafer. It reflects the gratitude of us as participants because of the redemption that is represented in the blood and the body of Christ. Everything about the cross is redemptive. There's, you put the cross in the middle of any situation and it will redeem and reconcile. Why? Because it was powerful in what Jesus did. Psalm 23.3 says he restores my soul. So we teach and believe that this is a meal that brings restoration. What, what, when we, we're here today, we're going to take communion at the end of this service. We're going to do it in unity. We're all going to be partaking of it. You can watch you watching us today can take it with us. Our worship should be characterized by an abundance of thanksgiving with the table at the center. Now listen, we're not worshiping the table. We're not worshiping the bread or the the, the wine. We are worshiping and the one who gave his life for us and brought us healing, redemption, reconciliation. And deliverance. Sadly, there's been a misunderstanding from 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. It's been taught in such a poor manner with a misconception and a misquoting of the scripture here so that many don't even come to the table at all. And then a lot come to the table with nothing more than fear because they don't want to do it in an unworthy manner. If you want to know more about that, I've got a message out there on our YouTube channel about what that word unworthy means when it comes to 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. It's a spiritual feast. Jesus desires and delights to eat with his bride. Now, Luke 22 is the description of that meal where they sat down at the table, and we call it the Last Supper, communion. But here's another word that is literally from the Scripture in the original language, and that is Eucharist. Now the Catholics use that, some other denominations use that, and it's not far-fetched because it's actually the Greek word that means to give thanks. So in chapter 22, verse 19, in the original language when Jesus says he took the bread 
He broke it and he gave thanks. That phrase, he gave thanks, is the Greek word Eucharist. I have highlighted, if you'll look at the screen, right in the middle of that word Eucharist is Kairos. You see it? That word Kairos there is grace. Jesus looked at the bread and the wine and he saw grace and he blessed it and gave it to his disciples. The root word here of grace, when he takes this and he gives thanks, is what we should be doing when we come to the table with a fresh appreciation and we eat this meal in a sense of gratitude. It's because one of Christ's very last directives as he gives the bread and the wine is to do it in remembrance of him. So it is an act of remembrance and thanksgiving. We are remembering the finished work of the cross. If you've not heard that terminology, uh, Jesus said at the cross, it is finished. And so when we come to the table with gratitude and we're remembering what he did for us, look at the screen and look at this play on words of remembering. We are remembering and giving thanks and it is to put us back together again as the body of Christ. Why? Because it's, we're coming together. We're doing it in unity. We are thanking Him for the same thing at the same time. So It's amazing that at the cross, the thief said, remember me. Now we know that he's asking Jesus to remember Him when He comes into His kingdom. But a play on words even there is to remember me. Put me back together because I'm a mess. I, I'm, because of my situations, I'm all to pieces here. I've gone all to pieces. Remember me. This is the crux of Christianity, to remember and to give thanks at the Eucharist. Why? Why is remembering and giving thanks the core of our Christian faith? Why wouldn't we? Because of what he's done at the cross. I think we make much of the cross and the resurrection at Easter, but we make too little of the cross and the resurrection throughout the rest of the year. And it's not a once a year remembrance. It's any time you come and you take this meal and you sit down at the table with him and you remember his healing, his deliverance, his forgiveness, and you give him gratitude. Now let me wrap it up with this. Gratitude is the quality of being thankful and a readiness to show appreciation. It is the expression of appreciation. Now, let me get psychological on you for just a second. I'm not a counselor. But there's so much about Scripture and what Jesus did for us that is for the whole man. Do you understand that? Touch your neighbor and say, the whole man. Spiritually, physically and emotionally. That's that soul realm, that which is the mind, the will, and the emotions, the whole man. And psychologists have recently began to understand that it is much more, gratitude is much more than an attitude. It is and should be valued as a practice. We should practice gratitude. Now, I understand that I should be thankful for everything that I have. 
I'm thankful that Todd's my brother and that we have fellowship with one another. I'm thankful for my wife and the benefit. I understand, but practicing gratitude, especially when it comes to what Christ did for us, it's a conscious effort to really thank him for what he has done for us. Um, Gratitude can be cultivated. It's something that can grow in us. It can build in us. um, And it can be more. We can show fresh appreciation. I've thanked him many times for what he's done for me. But when I come to the table, I'm showing a fresh appreciation with practicing gratitude and consciously saying, God, I am so thankful for what Jesus did. I take this this bread as your body and I take this juice as your blood and I'm thanking you that your manifest presence is here right now, that you are healing me through this meal, that you have delivered me with this meal and because of what you've done at the cross. It's a conscious effort. Gratitude involves a process, and it's the process of two things. Number one, it's the process of recognizing that you have obtained a positive outcome. And the second part of that process is to realize that that outcome came from an external source. Now, this is what psychologists are telling us that the process of gratitude is to recognize that you've had a positive outcome and that positive outcome came from an external source. Can I bring that into the terms of the scripture and what Christ has done for us? You have obtained a positive outcome because of what the external source whose name is Jesus Christ did for you at the cross of Calvary. And not only did he provide it for you at the cross of Calvary, but he went to hell for you and he was resurrected and gave you brand new life and he ascended. We talk about the the death and the burial, but let's talk about the ascension because he has ascended to the Father and if he ascended, I ascended and I am seated in him right beside the Father and he is guaranteeing us and passing out the blessings of the Father's will for us, which he accomplished at the cross of Calvary for us. So our gratitude is for what Jesus did for us to give us a positive outlook and outcome in our life. Expressing gratitude, Frank, if you guys would come, boost happiness. No wonder some of you are so sad. And it fosters, watch this, physical and mental health. Gratitude fosters physical and mental health. You can take the bread and eat it, and you can take the cup and you can drink it. I believe that it will have powerful results. But how you can expedite, guarantee, and activate those results is by coming with an attitude of gratitude, practicing that gratitude for what God has done for you through Jesus. Because then it shifts our attention away from the negative of all the world, the negativity of uh, resentment and envy and jealousy and strife. And ultimately, watch this, this is incredible. Ultimately, it can even relieve the symptoms of depression. Talking about gratitude, we can learn to have gratitude at the table and it will have physical and emotional healing properties in it as we practice that gratitude. 
our, grat our gratitude can cause us to feel less pain, less stress, less insomnia, and it boosts a stronger immune system. Who ought to be the happiest people on the planet? Believers. Believers ought to be the happiest people on the planet. Now, listen. Frank said it. Life is hard. I get it. Bills to be paid. Children that are sick. Just all types of situations going on that make life at times more difficult than others. It does not dilute or disqualify us from being happy. Because what Jesus did, the results of that, that positive outcome, have nothing to do with the circumstances and the situations that are going on around us. I know Jesus' words. In this world, you will have tribulation. You will have battles. You will have problems. But don't fear, little ones, for I have overcome the world. Where did he overcome the world? At the cross. If you'll stand with me. Angie's going to sing and the team here. And as they sing this song, there's elements in the back. There's elements up front. I know we took communion last week. But my trust, my hope, my intentions were that we can come with an attitude of gratitude and practice that gratitude this morning. Psalm 100, verse 4 and 5. David said, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, gratitude. Into his courts with praise. Come before the Lord with singing and be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. Can I get an amen? His mercy is everlasting. Amen. And His truth endures to all generations. Would you contemplate and meditate on what Christ did for you at the cross? And as you take these elements back to your seats, then we'll take it together here in just a moment. Will you just begin to give thanks to the Lord? For He is good and His mercy... David said in Psalm 23, he wrapped it up and he said, Surely goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. Can you hear the footsteps of the Father running after you this morning? Let's be grateful as we worship together. <laughs>